CDN stands for Content Delivery Network. A content delivery network is a system of distributed servers that delivers web pages and other web content. Without CDNs, the internet would be much slower because CDNs function as a caching layer for most web resources. Carl Gustus is an engineer at Cashfly, a popular content delivery network. Carl joins us today to discuss how CDNs work and the different methods that an engineer can use to take advantage of caching using a CDN. If you're a fan of Software Engineering Daily, we want to know how to improve. Please take five minutes to fill out our listener survey. There's a link to the survey in our newsletter and on our website. We would love to know what you think. We want to know what you want to hear more of, what you want to hear less of. We know that only like one-sixtieth of the developers that listen to the Software Engineering Daily have filled out the survey, so please uh, please fill it out. Uh, we could really use your feedback to improve, uh, and then we can, we can shut up about the survey. Carl Augustus is an engineer at Cashfly, a content delivery network. Carl, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thank you. Thanks for having me. For those who don't know, what is a CDN? Uh, a CDN is a content delivery network. Uh, they're a system of uh, distributed servers that have a, uh, a focus of delivering web objects uh, to a broad user-based, uh, I'm sorry, a broad user band based on multiple geographics. Sure. Okay. And throughout a content delivery network, we have what are known as proxy servers. Could you define what a proxy server is and explain why that's crucial to the structure of a content delivery network? Sure. <clears throat> so in the most general way of thinking about proxy servers, uh, they're commonly used to protect a network or improve performance and enforce company policies. Now, depending on where on your network, a proxy server lives. It can be considered either a forward or a reverse proxy. Uh, when dealing with CDNs, you're about 99.9% .9 of the time gonna be dealing with a reverse proxy model. Uh, and in computer networks, a reverse proxy is a type of proxy server that retrieves resources on behalf of a client uh, from either one or more locations. And these resources in turn get served to the client uh, as though they were originally uh, or originated from the proxy itself. To illustrate why people would want to use a CDN, I would love it if you could contrast what happens when a user accesses a website that is not uh, being accessed through a CDN versus uh, if it was being accessed using a CDN. Sure. Uh, so when a, a user visits a singly located web server, uh, the first thing that happens is that the web server, or I'm sorry, the web browser makes a request. And most of the time, the initial request is for uh, like a default index. Uh, now, through the magic of TCP and HTTP, uh, a bit of network handshake happens, and uh, the browser's parent operating system knows how to reach the web server, and it's then given some HTML. Now, what that HTML contains is very important part of this process. Uh, in the case of a singly homed website, that HTML says, hey, all of the images and objects needed to render this page live here on this server. Um, so let's start the back and forth transaction having me feed all those objects through a single pipe. Uh, that single pipe from end to end could very well be traversing a high number of networks through saturated bottlenecks, 
or uh, just taking an inefficient route. Um, so these are some factors that could result in, in poorer load times. So a CDN, uh, one of the purposes that you're kind of highlighting is that it uh, kind of multiplexes the the duties that uh, would be assigned to a single server that would otherwise be serving the website. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. And how could the problems, like what are some circumstances where a, a website could experience problems from the lack of a CDN? Like you kind of uh, have touched on the fundamental issue. How would this manifest in a poor user experience? Sure. Uh, so without using a CDN, you have to ask yourself, can my site and infrastructure handle a proverbial flash flood of traffic? And uh, I'm going to date myself here, but way back we used to call it the slash dot effect. And that's when like a small site, <laughs> right? I mean, a small site becomes popular on a news aggregator and all of a sudden you have thousands of people hitting this tiny little shared website. Uh, and then, you know, your web server can't keep up with the requested load and then it just falls over on itself. Mm. Um, so, you know, this, this effect of, of either just a lot of traffic from being po temporary popular, or if you just have legitimate traffic or your, your website's becoming more popular. Um, it's, so, it's sometimes an extreme case scenario, but it's not too far off what happens on, say, Black Friday or uh, a podcaster, videocaster releases uh, new content. Sure. And I'd love to get an idea of how the CDN fixes these problems in more detail. Um, and I guess more a more specific question might be, uh, you know, we, we discuss replication a lot on Software Engineering Daily, and um, a CDN is not exactly a case of, of direct replication. You're not re replicating an entire application server. Um, so kind of differentiate why a user or why, why, sorry, why a programmer would want to replicate uh, resources across a CDN rather than replicating an entire application server. Sure. Uh, well, one of the main reasons people use CDNs is, I'm going to use air quotes here, is for heavy lifting. Um, what's not always apparent is that when you have a lot of traffic, that it's not the HTML in flight that's causing delays and, and latency. The majority of the bandwidth used to render a website is comprised of high-resolution images, animations, videos, players, etc. You know, all types of different, um, you know, larger, larger file objects. Uh, those objects need bandwidth to move across the internet. So CDNs, or rather good CDN, will be well connected in their data centers, meaning that they'll have ample capacity and throughput to move all this stuff around. Uh, another way we fix issues like this is by placing these objects closer to the end users who are requesting them. Um, you know, having the content geographically closer to the user means they have less networks to traverse and less opportunities for uh, something in the middle to, to come up to works. I'd love to start to get into a conversation of how CDNs work at a lower level. Um, so I'll just ask you, how does a CDN work? I'm getting started. Uh, I want to have my site be backed up, be, uh, you know, have its resources replicated across the CDN. How do I get started and what happens? Sure. So with all CDNs, there, there's some ingress point or a method of synchronizing your, your content to the CDN. Uh, however that may be, once your content is on the CDN, then it's your CD, CDN provider's job to distribute that content amongst all of its endpoints. Uh, this is commonly referred to as the delivery edge uh, when, when dealing with CDNs. 
So end, end, uh, sorry, end users request these objects and get routed to the nearest data center. We also call them POPs, which is short for point of presence. Um, and we do this through the use of, of AnyCast. Um, AnyCast is basically a routing method that basically advertises the same IP address for multiple locations. Uh, and in doing so, um, this is a routing protocol that's used by the backbone of the internet to seamlessly point each client to the right place. Okay. Uh, and, you know, I want to I kind of like touch on a certain point. So like, if I'm using a CDN, am I... Am I more worried about speed or availability? Like what, uh, as a consumer of a CDN, like if I have a WordPress site, uh, what what is a CDN going to relieve me of? Is it more speed or availability? Honestly, I'm going to say it's equal column A, column B. Um, okay. Everyone uses a CDN for one or both of these reasons. And, um, you know, whether, whether you're currently experiencing, um, you know, poor speed from, say, budget hosting, um, you know, CDN is not going to alleviate all of that issue because a lot of the times you're going to get not the best initial response times from that low tier hosting platform. But as soon as that first transaction that my previously mentioned index file, once your web browser knows where to grab all that content from, you're going to start pulling it down from the CDN and it's going to, it's going to give you a, a significant increase. Okay, and I, I think this touches on something that is fundamental to the idea of software engineering, which is the idea that you often have to prime the cache in one way or another. So explain explain why that's useful. Like some people who are listening, they may not quite understand uh, the the explanation of of CDN. Like why is why is the first hit to a website that it, that is using a CDN? Why can that sometimes be be painful, whereas uh, subsequent hits will be less painful? That's an excellent question. Um, a, a very popular way to synchronize your content onto the CDN is through reverse proxy. And with reverse proxy, uh, you basically tell us where we should be grabbing these static files from. And the very first time that they're requested on the CDN, we automatically seamlessly pull that content from your web origin and then put it, pull it into our network. Uh, then once, once it's requested from different geographics, we propagate it within our network. So priming the cache is important. Um, you know, we usually tell people that if you want to prime the cache on your own, you just make two HTTP GET requests and your content's on the network and, and ready to go. Okay, so with that in mind, you know, you wrote a blog post recently that was talking about a few models of caching in a CD, and you described push and pull. Um, and judging by what you said just now, it sounds like uh, typically, you know, if you want if you want to prime this cache, then uh, you know you just set up set up the CDN to pull, and uh, you just go to the, you just hit your website, and the CDN will have its cache primed. Um, but explain how that contrasts with the push model. Sure. So with a push model, we provide you a file system that you upload to. You can upload to using FTP. Uh, SCP, and a lot of people actually like to use rsync, uh, you know, with a public key, and maybe they can just automatically script when when new pushes or uh, new content is released on your web origin, it's already on the CDN. Uh, so there is a little more control over your content when um, when using the pu a push method. 
specifically, if you want to remove content from the CDN, you simply remove it from the file system. You delete it, it's off the CDN. Uh, with a, a reverse proxy or a pull method, you have to initiate a purge and actively have to tell us to remove the content. Can you describe some use cases where where users would want to use the push method versus the pull method? Um, a lot of the times, it's it's usually customer preference. Um, there's similar amounts of control over your content that's on the CDN. Um, a lot of times people like to use push for, for subversion um, just because we have the fastest propagation time of previously cached objects when using the push model. So meeting with our competitors, uh, I know some competitors out there that actually take up to 24 hours to update an object that's already propagated the network with CacheFly. Uh, within three to four minutes after disconnecting from your upload session, your update's live at the edge. Hmm. Okay. Uh, so just to give people a further explanation, if they still don't understand, explain what happens if, if somebody is using the pull method of CDN caching uh, and there is a cache miss. Mm-hmm. What exactly happens? Uh, what is ha- so the user at, at the front end? The user is experiencing pain, like the resources of a page aren't loading. Like they go to a WordPress site, the pictures aren't loading because the CDN is getting hit and the the cache is getting warmed. Essentially, so mm-hmm. um, explain what is happening on the back end in this process. What is going on with the CDN? Sure. Uh, so on the CDN side, we get an HTTP GET request. And we first look at our furthest most uh, tier of caching, if you will. And that's either going to be RAM disk or PCIe SSD storage. Uh, We have logic that says if it's not cached in the immediate hot cache, then we go to disk. If it's not in disk, we go to intermediate storage. If it's not in intermediate storage, then we... Uh, immediately on the fly, grab it from the customer origin, proxy it through to the end user's request, and during that process, we're cash, we're keeping a copy for the next request. Okay, uh, and you in, in that conversation, you just mentioned that there are these different layers of caching, and um, you know we're used to this if we're talking about operating systems. You know, you have L1, L2 cache, these different caching layers, mm-hmm. um, but the kind of caching layers that you're referring to are kind of, they seem like higher level constructs. So explain the cache hierarchy of a CDN, or at least how it exists at CacheFly. Sure. So we have an algorithm, uh, and it's, 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 it's simple and it's not. Uh, so if, uh, if an object is requested X amount of times in a certain time frame, then it's going to live in the hot cache, the, the RAM disks. Um, after either an object doesn't get requested or just you know, falls, becomes less popular. Uh, we just bump it back once one, one tier. And, uh, you know, a tier is generally, you know, decently performing, uh, large raid sets. And, uh, back from that is just large, massive storage tiers. So when one of our, one of our selling points is that you know, people ask us how long we can cache objects for in a reverse proxy model. And we tell them that it's a it's, there's a potential to not have to hit your origin for up to six months because that's that's the longest time that it'll live in our intermediate storage. Hmm. Does a CDN give resilience from DDoS attacks? Generally speaking, yes. 
Um, so things to consider when talking about DOS attacks. Um, you know, are you, is, your, is it your web version that's being attacked, or are they attacking the CDN? Are both being attacked? And then, you know, once you identify what type of DOS attack, um, then then you know we identify the the spurious traffic and, and mitigate. Uh, Cashfly has a number of partners that we that we work with uh, for for such events. Interesting. Okay, so getting back to what you just said about the the different cache, the cache hierarchy, the layers of the cache hierarchy, mm-hmm. how the CDN is structured. So when a request comes in, there are lots of trade-offs that a CDN can make when resolving that request. You could you could optimize for all these different things. You could optimize for how expensive this request will be. You could exp- you could optimize for how fast it will be, or the fewest hops among different servers, or you could find the server with the best historical performance. How do you choose what to optimize when a request comes in? Sure. Um, so Cashfly has made its main focus over the years to be the consistently best performing CDN in the market. And many CDNs tote their speed, uh, but Cashfly has gone one, one further and tried to educate its customers on what exactly that means. Uh, while most, most CDNs are advertising their time to first byte, Cashfly has always been about time to last byte. And this means that it's not all about how fast we can respond to a request, but it's also how fast that we can put that last byte into a user's browser. So this means that when it comes to optimization, we focus heavily on HTTP and its underlying TCP protocol. Uh, that's what, you know, when we geek out on performance, that's what our main focus is. Uh, you know, as for cost, are we talking about cost of, of CPU cycles? Or are we talking about cost of the, the bandwidth bill at the end of the month? Um, and, you know, and as for, as for cost, you know, Cashfly, we know we're not the cheapest CDN out there, but we do remain very competitive with our with our rates. Okay, so that brings up an interesting conversation, like how, you know, there's so many CDNs, and I, I'm, I've never had to hire a CDN to do anything uh, for me. I've never had a website where I've need to con- need to configure a CDN. All I've mm-hmm. ever done has been hosted on stuff that takes care of that type of purposing for me. Mm-hmm. Um how do different CDNs compare? And like, what? how do you have a competitive edge uh, in that kind of market? Uh, well, Cashfly's competitive edge, like I mentioned previously, is, is our performance. Um, you, you could I'll implore everyone to do their own Googling, and we generally <laughs> always come out on top as far as performance. So that's how we try to differentiate ourselves. Um, other CDNs, you know, there, there are some more full-feature CDNs that do dynamic site accel- acceleration. Um, Others that do, uh, you know, wire, firewall as a service and, and all types of other, um, you know, additional features. But but Cashfly, we we've intentionally kept it simple throughout the years that we just want to deliver your static content. We want to do it really well. We want to do it really fast. Okay, got it. So let's let's talk about more about uh, the the infrastructure of a CDN, the engineering problems. One question I have is. <clears throat> If you've got this network of distributed servers across a CDN, how do you maintain consistency between all those different servers? Because you know you you want a request in Poland to have to resolve to the same kind of information that a request in Washington D.C. would most of the time, even though they're going to be hitting different servers in a CDN. So, how do you resolve that potential inconsistency? Uh, well, there's a, a large number of checks and balances when it comes to managing customer information. And um, 
one of the one of the most basic ways is that once we have a customer's object in our network, it's it, we we take a fingerprint of every object essentially uh, through a combination of last modified time, file size, and uh, an MD5 hash. And that creates a, a unique identifier for every single object on the CDN. Um, that fingerprint is synchronized across every edge delivery node, and and they're all aware of um, they're all aware of each other and, and, and the version of each object. Uh, you know, it's not it's not odd to have somebody change an object every couple hours. Um, so with with that unique identification and fingerprint. Uh, it also allows Cashfly to have one of the fastest reverse proxy purge times in in the market as well. Uh, we're now ca- we're now purging stuff from our network being measured in milliseconds. Okay, very interesting. Um, do is there any notion of like tunable consistency? Like, do, can can a customer who has even more like higher consistency requirements can they pay extra to have more stringent consistency requirements? No, but that's not to say that we can't custom put together something for somebody's requirements. Um, one of one of our things is that we have such great and talented engineers on staff that you know if you needed something, if you needed the CDM to act differently or or respond with a custom HTTP header or uh, you know just have a little tweak of, of of the way we operate, that it's it's not uh, it's not difficult for us to you know. Put something together for you to have it work the way way you expect it to. Sure. So, uh, what happens if a CDN itself gets DDoS attacked or some other kind of security attack? Uh, well, first thing we're probably going to notice before customer service, it's going to be customer impacting. Um, we we monitor, monitor, monitor every part of our network. Um, we also use a number of third-party partners that uh, are constantly giving us reports on on uh, traffic metrics. So uh, when when we're alerted to to an event, uh, a lot of the times, depending on the size and, and style of DOS attack, all it's doing is is making a blip on a on a uh, on a bandwidth graph. <clears throat> but once we have that. Uh, spurious traffic identified. Um, we have twenty four seven network engineers to to be on hand and mitigate it with our partners. Okay, uh, can you can you maybe like go tell me a war story about like dealing with security threat? Uh, I don't deal a whole lot with the security threats myself, um, but you know, Cashflow's got a really robust robust delivery edge. So many times when when people try. To DOS a CDN, they don't they don't know that they're DOSing a CDN, and a lot of the traffic just get gets absorbed. You know, if we, if we come close to a threshold or, or, or close to saturation at one of our pops, we have intelligent routing platforms that start to shard traffic to other pops, and you know, it's it's very seldom that that'll cascade to a continent to to where it'll actually start affecting performance metrics. But like I said, the key is 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 monitoring and, and being well aware of what's happening on your network. Huh, interesting. Okay, so we've we've done a lot of shows recently about containerization technology, and uh, I I find the containerization technology discussion at scale to be quite interesting. But um, I'm not even sure if you guys use containers. Do you have Do you use Linux containers at at uh, at Cashfly? No, not at the moment. Okay. 
Have you considered it or do you have, is there any use case where you would like to use containers? It's not on a discussion from an engineering standpoint. Um, it's just that right now um, we have such control from, from the hardware to, to the, all the software at the very end that <clears throat> we've spent so much time at, at perfecting our craft at this point. We're just only trying to focusing on make it better, not, not another way to, to, to deploy. Okay, so divorce me from the hypervortex. Like I, you know, I have obviously fallen into the hypervortex of people talking about Docker and containerization technologies. Why? Give me, give me an understanding of why that is not useful to you. Why it does not provide the economies of scale that it might provide in in other tech stacks. Uh, I, you know what? I, I'm, I mean, I'm familiar with Docker. I've used it. And in cashalized deployment, we, we just have such a, a, a set plan of, of uh, I mean, we don't, we don't do a whole lot of virtualization for delivery edge servers. Um, and and our, our virtualization stack is, is internal. So, um, you know, our, our provisioning processes are, are pretty streamlined as it is. And so we just, we just haven't found mm. uh, that much of a need for it right at, at this point. Okay, interesting. Well, given that you have a standardized provisioning process, could you give me an idea of how you scale up and down, what that actually looks like? Uh, scaling networks is usually, you know, stacking, uh, switching gear and uh, you know, more, more bandwidth, more cross connects, more 10 gig dark wave fibers in our data centers. Um, and as far as uh, Scaling, we we uh, we use the load balancing technology at all our all our delivery edges, and it's it's pretty much as easy as plug and plug and play. Just adding more servers when needed. Okay, very interesting. Um, so, have you guys like have you, has your team considered uh, like I guess I guess this is this is exactly the type of uh, case where you would not want. Uh, a cloud service provider. You would not want AWS or something. You would absolutely just want uh, real life servers in this scenario. Absolutely, absolutely. <clears throat> Excuse me. When you have you know total control of you know for example Linux TCP drivers that that that's going to give you better congestion control and in other kernel objects that 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 really allow you to tweak your stack. That's that's what we've been uh, that's what we've been really using and focusing on. So I'd love to get more context on that like what are the what are the things that you don't have control over if you're using a cloud service provider um a lot of the times the, the things out of your control are, are say intermediary networks so say you have a, a, a big fat internet pipe to your home and and cash flies in the uh data center with you know diverse multi-home fiber uh and you're traversing a, a mom and pop network that's got a saturated line card in between us uh, that's not something that we have complete control of it's something that we can help you route around it's not something that we always we're not always in control of other people's networks is really what i'm getting at Mm, okay um can you explain it, it are there any are there any ancillary effects that the rise of cloud computing has had on uh, a CDN, like even an even a CDN that is not on AWS, uh, like like Cashfly? Um, do you, are there ancillary effects from the rise of cloud computing that have affected your kind of business? 
Not that we've seen. Um, we haven't seen, you know, a lot of home rolled or, or new players in the CDM marketplaces that are based on on existing cloud infrastructure. Um, you know, we see a lot of, uh, of people who have dynamic content and web-based applications using these uh, the newer cloud-based services, and that's really what they're made for. Um, but I, I don't I don't believe that it's really affected us directly in, in recent years. Hmm, okay, interesting. How, more generally, how have CDNs changed over the past decade? I mean, this is something that CDNs have been around for a very long time. How have they evolved? Uh, yeah, in the early days, CDNs were basically just DNS-based load balancing. Um, over the years, when Cashfly was the first to market with a with an AnyCast routing topography, uh, that changed that changed things immensely, and uh, you know a lot of a lot of players followed suit. Um, over the years, uh, you know, just the, uh, you know, the HTTP and HTTP2 um, and the layers of TCP congestion control, those, those have changed dramatically over the years. And they've really made or allowed CDNs to do a lot more with a lot less. Um, uh, other things over the years, you know, things like intelligent routing platforms, um, being able to, to make changes in your routing infrastructure uh, done automatically. Say if somebody cuts a fiber or somebody unplugs something somewhere, um, you're not going to be broken and down and waiting for somebody else to fix something. Um, that, that's helped reliability tremendously. Um, that and another other, a, a number of other high availability um, pieces of, of, of our stack um, just these are the reasons that allow us to offer 100% SLA uptime. Let's go into that a little further. So uh, 100% SLA uptime, I imagine that's hard to maintain. It can be maybe hard on the team uh, if you don't have a, a, some good on-call practices in place. I'd love to get an idea of the, uh, of the, of the team structures and the on-call. And, you know, I don't know if you have some sort of DevOps model in place, but... Um, you know, yeah. Give me an idea on how you maintain that hundred percent uh, uptime. Well, most of the most of the most of a hundred percent SLA uptime is taking the human equation out of the factor. Um, you know, if something breaks, we're not going to wait for somebody to roll out of bed at three in the morning. We just have the server shut itself down, or what we say take itself out of rotation. I mean, every pop is not just one delivery edge server. We're talking massive amounts of gear in each data center. And, you know, if, if, if one server goes down, well, the other is going to pick up the slack. We'll just take it out of, out of service um, and deal with it when somebody's awake and alive. <laughs> so uh, there's a part of it, it's taking the human equation out of it. Uh, another part is just having the infrastructure to, to plan ahead for failures. Um, we don't want to be chasing our tail in a, in a bad situation. You know, in a worst case scenario, in an absolutely terrible worst case scenario, which which almost never happens, but even if it did, uh, you know, with any cast, one of the beauties with any cast is that if a whole pop or point of presence went down, went dark on the internet, all that traffic just seamlessly gets routed to the next available location. So we're still going to be able to host your host your your files while we figure out, you know, what ma- major force de majeure happened somewhere. Um, but like I said, it, it's almost uh, a never happening case. 
Sure. So, um, what is the replication factor like? Like when I have something that's that is on a CDN, how how many different places is it getting replicated to, and and how do you calculate where to where to put those resources? Um, it's basically wherever the, op, the your objects are requested. So if if you have uh, a website and your content is on the CDN, and ninety nine percent of your con your, your traffic is generated from users here in the U.S. Well, your content is going to be in all of our pops and locations all over the U.S. And, and if you have one expat living in Singapore who wants to listen to your podcast, well, it's going to be cached there as well. Okay, interesting. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, we talked uh, a little bit about this, but um, can you give me a, a better idea of like how teams are structured at Cashfly? Like how uh, you know management works and how uh, new features get rolled out? Uh, and I, perhaps an idea of the culture for how the company works? Sure. Uh, Cashfly has been around for going on 12 years now, and we're a relatively small company. Um, we have our CTO, uh, a handful of DevOps, a handful of network engineers. Uh, we have our, our 24-7 support team, a handful of sales people, and uh, a marketing team. So overall, I'd say we're in the vicinity of, of 20 people. Um, we're, we're a pretty close, close knit team. Um, you know, we're always in the same place at the same time and um, we all work together real well. It's, it's, it's a great company to work for. I've, I've been here 10 years, so uh, I wouldn't, wouldn't be around this long if, if, you know, it wasn't a great place to, to be around. A lot of, a lot of smart people on our team, especially our, our, our network engineers there. There's some brilliant folks there. What is it that keeps you there? Because I've I've never stayed at a company for anywhere close to ten years, <laughs> let alone one year. Uh, what is it that makes uh, like the culture have enough durability for you to stay there that long? Well, it's it's fun. Uh, it's even after all this time, it's still fun. I, I don't. It doesn't feel like work when I come to do what I do every day. It's uh, you know, it's relaxed. It's. Um, I always feel like uh, there's continuing education and growth within the company. Um, you know, I'll, most of my, my coworkers are also my friends. And, um, you know, it's just a lax environment. Uh, everyone pulls their weight. And when you have a, a good team of everyone working for a, a common goal, it, um, it's a good feeling at the end of the day. Do you think that's something that would be difficult to maintain if the company scaled to more people? Because over 12 years, you know, maintaining such a small population – I imagine that has been uh, a deliberate decision. <laughs> I, it most certainly has been, yeah. Um, you know, I haven't worked for a very large company almost ever in my life, so I don't have anything to compare it against. Uh, but yeah, that's, I think, definitely one of the reasons why, why I've, I've been here and happy for so long. Huh. Okay, very interesting. Um, so I'd love to start drawing to a close with, Maybe if you have any crazy stories from that come from managing a CDN for ten years, like I don't know Black Friday, Cyber Monday type of stuff, or just any kinds of crazy stories that you can tell me from managing a CDN. We we always have a cold six pack on hand ready for the, the end of uh, Cyber Monday. <laughs> I'll tell you that. Uh, you know, you just hit the two hottest days uh, on the internet for CDN. Really, is Black Friday and Cyber Monday. Um, you know, we, we get giddy like school children when, when we see, you know, our bandwidth graphs just going crazy and and our metrics remain with intolerances. That just makes us so happy. 
Um, not, we don't, we don't, I can't really recall of any major, major doomsday event that had us all scrambling. Um, and, and I blame our, I blame our, our wonderful CTO who has got a, got a real head on, on, on him for, for redundancy and, and, uh, systems basically just data center knowledge. Um, I don't know. I, I think one of the most fun days to, to work for a CDN, though, is definitely around the holidays because because things just get crazy. Well, so crazy in what ways? Like what occurs? It just, nothing. Nothing occurs. It's just uh, the amount of traffic, the amount of HTTP requests. To see upwards of a hundred thousand HTTP requests hit the delivery edge in a single pop and not have anything happen. I mean, that alone gets us happy. <laughs> ah, I see. So, I mean, what are the types of problems that might be occurring on lesser CDNs? What are the things that you guys have in place that allow, that give you such an affordance of durability that, uh, you know, don't, that, you know, prohibit you from falling sure. into those types of problems. Sure. Um, you know, a, a big thing uh, around those times that we hear about are, are delays in propagation. Um, uh, problems, it's, it happens more frequently than, than you'd think that that uh, customers will actually mispublish content. Um, say you have a, a listing for something that you're selling online and you and you put up the wrong object. If you, got, if you have CDN XYZ that says, sorry, we're not going to be able to take this off our network for 24 hours and you have people buying it, that could be a huge problem. I see. Okay, very fascinating. So what are the trends among CDNs that you see developing into the future? Uh, we see a lot of new customers um, needing seamless in- integration for CMSs. Um, you know, your WordPresses, Joomla's, uh, you name it, all, C- all CMSs. Uh, that seems to be more popular than I remember in the past. So um, <clears throat> that's that's just a trend that I'm noticing personally. Hmm. Is the supporting is supporting a, uh, a CMS? Is that any different than supporting you know a site like I don't know if it, Amazon.com or something? Amazon wanted a CDN. They've got tons and tons of images. Uh, is that somehow different than a, than a CMS? Not necessarily, but it, it, it um, as of late we've been we've been expanding out, working with more partners. And when I mean partners, I mean mm-hmm. people who are developing CMS plugins. Okay. Um, so so working with them, making sure that their plugin is adhering to how we work, and you know everything is kind of plug and play. Um, yeah, uh, it's 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 been uh, it's been fun getting a lot of people on on board and um, making things easy for your new user who just wants you know CDN services um, you know in just a few clicks. Fascinating. Okay, well, Carl, thanks for coming on to Software Engineering Daily. This has been a super interesting conversation. No I feel so elucidated about how CDNs work. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I hope I uh, I didn't uh, make anything more difficult to understand. <laughs> no, no, it's very very simple. Um, thank you so much. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Jeff. <laughs>